0: Would you just give a big welcome, Sister Paddington, as she comes and she's going to share with us? Praise the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Cheryl. Praise God. Love you, girl. Why Joshua? That's a good question, isn't it? Why not New Testament? Why not fire? Why not this? Why not that? Why Joshua? We have to answer that question. 1 Corinthians 10.11 answers it, and it says, These things were recorded as an example and written for our instruction. So everything in the Old Testament has value to me as a New Testament Christian. I look at it, and I read it, and my heart is thrilled at the miracles that I see God performing. And in Jesus Christ's name, we're going to extract from the book of Joshua some principles, some things that we can take into everyday life today, things that I hope you never forget, and make them not Old Testament words, they are, but make them New Testament professions of faith. Can you agree with that? Yes. Well, Father, tonight I take authority. I feel it in my spirit, so I take authority over all that heaviness. They came here. They're hurried. They're, they're heavy. And in Jesus' name, I command that to leave, that heaviness to lift in Jesus' name. I ask for the precious spirit presence of the Holy Spirit, Lord come into this place and be the teacher. I ask for open ears, open hearts, open minds, that they will yield to the scripture. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, Father, what are we going to do today? Before we can get to the book of Joshua, the book of Joshua begins in a very crucial situation. Moses has died, Joshua is taking over leadership, and uh, we cannot go even into chapter one of Joshua until we look and see what makes Joshua who he is. If I was to look in the Old Testament and I was to look at Moses as the leader He's a very strong, I think of Charlton Heston, of course, because that's what I saw with my eyes. But I think he had a commanding presence like, like that. He was chosen by God to lead these millions of people in the Exodus. And Joshua was his replacement. How did he get to the, be the man Of God's choice. I think we're going to begin right there and we're going to build his character and see what he lived through so that we can understand when we hit chapter one next week. How did he respond? What was he thinking? And I think it'll be clearer. Everybody knows who Abraham is, right? Okay, he's the father of our faith. He was Joshua's great 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 grandfather. And way back in Genesis chapter 12, there was a promise that was given to Abraham about a land. He would have a people and a land. The earth is the Lord's, but he can give it away if he so chooses. And there is a piece of real estate in the Middle East, which is now called Israel, that has boundaries that God set. And he said, I give this land to your peoples. He did it on purpose. And that was passed down from generation to generation. And everybody was looking for the land and the promise this boy, as he was birthed in Egypt, this boy named Joshua, would have had this as part of his religious training. He would have known that there was a land to go to. There was hope. There was a promise from God. We're going to go and be delivered from this place. So that was the, it was a driving force from the time he was a child. Joshua was born in Egypt from slaves. And as he grew older, he became a part of the working slaves that kept him. And it tells me in the scriptures that Joshua was approximately 40 years old when Moses came to Egypt to deliver the people. Forty years as a slave, I I don't think I would like slavery at all. Uh, I'm very content not having to get up with an alarm clock now. (laughs) I did it all my life at early, early hours. And as a slave, you don't have much choice. You're told what to do, when to do it, And when you think your strength is gone, they ask for more, and you do it because you have no choice. And usually accommodations are not very plush. Even food and clothing are not necessarily of the best. (laughs) I don't think anybody would like to be a slave, but he had 40 years of it. 40 years of mulling over a land and a promise from God, will it, this, is my, this is how I would live it. Will that promise ever come to pass? It is like the rapture that is held in front of us. It hasn't happened yet, but everybody says it's right here. It's right close by. Everything has happened and nothing else really significant has to happen before the rapture. Um, it's in front of us, but there's almost like a disturbance in our spirits. Is it ever going to happen? Well, that is the place where we find Joshua. Now, God was not caught off guard. He knew what was coming, and he knew that after another 40 years, he's going to need to replace Moses. He knew that. And this young boy, at four, well, I should say young man in the prime of his life, at 40 years of age, sees Moses coming into the capital city and watches this man walk with confidence, shoulders back, and he's walking with strength and confidence into Pharaoh's house. He knows the way because he grew up there. there was a spark of hope. Can you imagine what it would be like after 40 years as a slave, hearing the promise that there would be an exodus and that these people would be delivered from Egypt? And all of a sudden you see a man who's coming in with great strength and confidence, and the buzzword came from the capital that said, He's asking that these people be let go. He's coming as a representative of God. Well, that would make me, as a slave, kind of interested. Is it actually possible that prophecy is going to unveil itself before my very eyes? That would be high on my list. I would be alert if somebody told me they saw... Something unusual in the heavens, I'm going to be alert because I know the rapture is coming. I want to know. Well, I'm going to go to Exodus 8 and 22, and I'm going to read there. Moses brought some information. And he was to deliver what God said to the Pharaoh. And he says, Um, There are going to be some consequences if you don't let the people go. I'm reading from Exodus 8 and 22. But on that day I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people are living so that no swarms of insects will be there in order that you you may, in order that you may, in order that you may. Please understand, there's a reason he's going to do this. He's going to set apart the people of the land of Goshen, which are Joshua's people, the the Israelite people, that you may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of this land. Now, they had a lot of gods down there in Egypt. But our God, the one God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, is about to perform some miraculous things in order that they may know that I, the Lord, am in the midst of the land, and I will put a division between my people and your people, and tomorrow this sign shall occur. Now I've looked at the maps at the back of my Bible, and I see the land of Egypt, and the delta, the richest part of that area, is right in the center, and it's The land of Goshen is quite huge. Well, God is about to make himself known. And he is going to start off and he says, If you don't let my people go, there will be insects I'm going to send into the land. Well, insects came. They were all over everything in, in, in Egypt. But according to the word of the Lord, no swarms of insects will be there where his people live in the land of Goshen. Now, how did God do this? I don't know how he did this. Here's Goshen sitting here. Did he? You know, have you ever seen these um, dog collars where they have the underground like a fence so that the dog can't go any farther? Did he do something like that? Or did he have a net there? I, I, I conjecture, but I see a 40-year-old man walking home from his work that day and insects everywhere and he puts his foot out into the land of Goshen where he lives and there are no insects. I am reminded That in the book of Genesis, when God gave authority to man over the earth, he said, I I loose you to take dominion over every creepy crawly thing that's on the earth. Maybe that had something to do with it. But significantly, there was a change and everybody noticed there's insects out there and there's no insects in here. I don't know about you, but that would make me curious if nothing else. And Joshua lived through this. It went from insects to cattle dying. You can't miss a cattle. They're huge. And cattle died outside of the perimeter of Goshen. But all the cattle in Goshen didn't die. They didn't die. Then there were boils. And there were boils These are horrible things. They're like big pustules and they break open and drain. And the people outside of Goshen had pustules and and boils. But nobody inside did. That would make a real impression on me if I was watching this happen in in um, in the land that I lived. The one that gets me is hail. Hail... It's going to destroy crops. It comes from the sky. I can see God putting a barrier in the ground to keep insects from coming into Goshen. What did he do? Did he... You've seen the, the show that has a dome of some kind? Yeah. I've never watched it, but I, I, I've seen it. Did he put a dome over Goshen? Because the hail... Did he just part the clouds so that it hailed over here and hailed over here, but it didn't hail in the middle? I don't care how he did it. It was miraculous, absolutely miraculous. He went from hail, and Joshua was watching all of this, to locusts. Locusts began to eat everything green, and they consumed everything green, everything edible, all your lettuce, all your cucumbers, your carrots, they're gone, but not in Goshen. Isn't that amazing? What did he do? Did he turn a little button in there? I I don't know. Three days of darkness. I remember going camping. My Aunt Lillian had a camp on a lake up in Maine. And she didn't have electricity in this camp. So we brought our, flash, uh, our uh, flashlights. And when we went to bed that night, it was not a bright moon. I never saw anything so dark in my whole life. There was no way I would step out of bed to do anything unless I had a flashlight with me. Three days of pure darkness. But not In Goshen, there was light in the houses. There was light in the houses. Not in the whole city, but in their houses. I tell you, this is something. And then there was a pronouncement from God. You either let my people go or the firstborn is going to die. God talked to Moses and he said, you are going to tell the people of my my people, Israelite people, that there's something they have to do. They're going to get a lamb, sacrifice the lamb, and across the lintel and the doorposts, you're going to put the blood. And the death angel is going to come through and take the firstborn. I'm a firstborn doesn't say firstborn ladies, but I made that application when I read it. And God provided a way. Joshua, according to Josephus, was a firstborn. And if he was a firstborn, this became very important to him. Everything that was prophecy... Now is touch, it is touching his life. He is living through it. He is breathing it. He is experiencing it. Everything that his forefathers knew about what was going to happen to let his people go from Egypt, it was coming to pass. Well, he went to bed. He, he had to follow the directions like everybody else did. He, the, they prepared the lamb. They put the blood on the doorposts and the lintels, and they were told to go into their house and don't come out till morning. Okay? They were told to stay prepared and ready to go. Put your shoes on. Put your clothes on. Sleep with your clothes on. Get ready to move. God is going to do something tremendous. But don't come out until morning. The death angel came. And the death angel, let's say we lived on the edge of Goshen. The death angel came through the land. And the firstborn died in this house, and this house, and this house, and this house. But he didn't go into Joshua's house. I wonder how much sleep he got that night. He's living through history. He's experiencing God on the move. And the next morning, when he got up and went outside... There was activity everywhere. Carts are being rolled out. We're leaving. We're going. They're experiencing an amazing thing. People are throwing goodies at them. Jewelry. Gold. Silver. Gold. Get out of here. They're ushering all of Israel out of Egypt. And they left. I'm telling you. If I had lived through this, my concept of God would be awestruck. There are principles that I can gain from this that I would take with me forever. The Lord God is the one true God. Can you say that? Say it with me. The Lord God is the one true God. The Lord God is the one true God. So when a lot I mean, just from the book of Joshua, from what we just looked at, if somebody comes along and says to me, well, there's another God called Bohabit, there's another God called Buddha, I I don't have to be there. I know this is a real book, and this is real stuff that happened. This is history. I look at it, and I can come up to the conclusion the Lord God is the one true God. He concluded very quickly, this is the guy to follow, Moses. I want want to experience life in the fast lane. And this is the guy to attach myself to. And he made that distinction. He was very easy to determine a wonderful principle. God treats his kids different than the world. Can you agree with me? That story tells me that God treats, he he made sure that his children were safe and didn't have to go through all those different uh, plagues. God is on my side. I like that. Well, we've only had a few minutes here. Let's see. Oh, my goodness. About 15 minutes, I guess. But, I I mean, we could go home now, and we could be satisfied. It's not good enough. (laughs) Joshua attached himself immediately to Moses in a, a relationship of mentorship. He saw something. He wanted what that man had. And the way you get what that man had is find out what he's doing and do it. So he attached himself. And from that point on, at the exodus, when the people were leaving Egypt, we hear the name Joshua as the servant of Moses. He stuck close. He stuck close so he could learn and watch. He watched the children of Israel. He's right there with Moses. And he watched these children of Israel be led. And Moses is standing Joshua's listening. He's learning. There's a mountain here. There's a mountain there. He has about three million people. It says 600,000 men. Doesn't count the women and children. So I'm going to pick that that number, about three million people. In the back, if you turn and look over your shoulder... There's dust in the air from Pharaoh's chariots. Pharaoh is coming after you, and in front of you is an ocean. I can see Joshua now. What are you going to do now? (laughs) Everything that he, for every person that was there, it was live it or die it. it. It is, God, either you do something or we die. Well, he heard Moses say something, "God, what do I do?" God answered him. You know what God said? He said, "Go forward." <laughs> Doesn't make sense. There's an ocean out there. But God spoken into existence, and within a day or two, all those people had passed safely from Egypt, across that sea. He watched God move. He watched God take a a prophetic word because it hadn't happened yet. God speaks things that are not as though they are. He said, go forward. And Moses had to come into agreement. I agree with you, God. God gave him direction in what to do. And what happened? The ocean rolled back. I kind of think there was a cold wind that came through. is what the scripture says. I think probably the oceans split and turned to ice. I can't prove it. It's just my thoughts. But I don't think they looked at the walls of water and saw fish swimming in them. It had to be something more solid than that. I, I don't know. But he lived through this. Joshua lived through this. He watched... God prophetically speak what was not there a man listened a man obeyed I'm putting this in my bank Lord I'm I'm learning I'm this is the way you function we're going to see that in the book of Joshua God gave him direction to go forward and he knew what to do cuz he had been there and he had listened and he had gained from that relationship. They went into the wilderness. Israel went into the wilderness. Joshua's at Moses' right hand. He saw needs that arrived. In the desert, it gets cold at night. And he saw something miraculous happen. He saw a fire come That was big enough. Now, three million people camped for a night covers a, a fair amount of property. This is not like covering this church. This is like covering a city. And there was a fire that came at night that brought light so they could see their way around the camp and warmth. You watched God provide. During the day, it gets hot underneath that sun in the desert. He watched God pull a cloud, maybe a little puff from here and a little puff from there, but in just a little bit, when it got real hot, that cloud covered the entire area and brought shade. There were times they didn't have anything to eat. They didn't have anything to drink. He watched Moses under the direction of God take his staff and go over and hit a rock. How do you get enough water for three million people and all their animals and everything, their herds? And Joshua watched this happen. He watched it. They began to complain. We're hungry. He saw God provide manna. They complained. He heard all these complaints. He heard them. He knows what it's like to have to deal with all these people. He heard the complaints. We don't have any meat. He watched quail fly in from nowhere. Here comes a mass of birds, and they land They have to get where the people can gather them. They had to come down here. They didn't go up. The people didn't jump up in the air to get them. Somehow they came down where the people could gather them. He watched the provision of God. And he's growing in his strength, in his spirit man. He is growing in his ability to believe God. He's watching God perform miracle after miracle and his, he's changing. He is absolutely changing. He is not a slave anymore. If anything, he's becoming an, uh, 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 an uh, uh, vibrant believer in Almighty God. Okay, we have evidence from Exodus 24 that Joshua went with Moses up into the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments. I read it again today. It says they went up together and he said with his mouth, Moses said with his mouth, we will come back. But it doesn't mention Joshua while they were up on the mountain. But it does say that there was such glory on that mountain that when Moses came down, his face shone. He had to put a cover on his face. It was so obvious. Well, have you ever been in a service where it has been so glorious that when you left, you didn't want to come down? You didn't want the service to stop? You didn't want the presence of the Lord to lift from you? If nothing else that he gathered, he had an impact from the glory. I believe with all my heart that this, he's being drawn to the presence of the Lord. He's being drawn. Moses would go into the tent of meeting in Exodus 33. And this is what it says about Joshua. Joshua would follow him, and he would not depart when Moses left. The glory became so precious to him. And the presence of God became so precious to him that he would spend time. Moses would go to bed, and he'd stay, and he'd sit, and he'd visit. And God was becoming so real to him. Look what's happening to this man. He he started out as a slave with a, a history book that his mama and, and the rabbis taught him. And now he's walking through this history and it's becoming reality. He's being confronted with a God who is more than he ever thought possible. And this is the man that is hungering and thirsting after God. Well, what can we learn from this? I think he came to the point where he said, I want to know God like Moses knows God. He had a reverence for God in his presence. My God does miracles. He watched it. And he submitted himself in a way to be second fiddle. I have to address this for a little bit. Recently, I was watching PBS They had a violin soloist. When a violin is played correctly, it is a beautiful sound. The woman started, and she just played a very simple melody. We would label it a solo. In the background from the back came another lady she's playing the violin as she's walking closer and the sound is getting louder and louder and she is playing an alternate melody that brings something very special into the earth, it's called harmony I do love solos but I love harmony when there's no contention there's no strife, there's no Discord, there's harmony. And for 40 years, this man was happy to be in the second fiddle place and to be just the harmony to Moses, who was the soloist. That's an incredible change from the mindset that was in that slave Joshua had a gifting. He was different than Moses, completely different. Moses was a man's man leader. Joshua was a warrior. And while he was under the tutelage of God and Moses, he had uh, several things that happened to him in the military area. In Exodus 17, it says the military victory over Amalek with a supernatural intervention. You remember the story where Aaron and her came underneath um, Moses' arms and lifted his arms. Every time his arms went down, the battle went badly. But And they lifted his arms, the battle went. And Joshua lived that battle. He was the main man giving direction in that battle. We saw he was chosen as one of the men to go on a covert operation and go into the land of Canaan and come back and give a message. You know, he learned something. That message was delivered in public, not in private. And people who were supposed to bring back information brought back opinions. And it, it was not a good thing. In Deuteronomy... Uh, chapter 3, we find out Joshua utterly destroyed two kings, the king of Sion and Og. When he went into this battle, was his first time to come in, up, up against a walled city. That's important. God is training him. He knows what's coming. What's the name of the city they're going to go into in Canaan? called Jericho. It wasn't his first walled city. He's experiencing these things under Moses' tutelage and God's tutelage. And he's growing, building his faith that if it would happen once, it'll happen again. I know how to do this thing. What can I learn from his victories? God and me is victory. That's a pretty good thing to learn, isn't it? And he had victory. I can ask and expect supernatural intervention and help. And I like this one. We play till I win. That's called perseverance. We play till I win. Now, we see the development of a God, of a man who's gonna have to fill some pretty big shoes. If I said to you, like we're looking at a man, we wanna fill the shoes of the president sometime very soon, what characteristics would you look for in that person? Maybe their education, the political networking, social skills, computer skills, good diction. There's a lot of things we might look for. That is not what God was looking for. He was looking for certain qualities. He's looking for a faithful man who is reverent, who wants to be with God and seek God. Somebody teachable, loyal, perseverance, Morally pure, good reputation, humble, disciplined, unselfish, respect others, kind, gentle, sensitive to the spirit. That's a mouthful. That's what he's looking for. How would you ever be that person? Jesus is that person. And Jesus lives in you. He sees that in you. You're capable of being the person that he chooses. Great men and women of God are not made overnight. They develop. And we're looking at a 40-year process here. What did Joshua actually do that made him eligible for promotion? First of all, he's zeroed in. He said, that man knows God. And I'm going to connect myself with that person, and I'm going to learn what they do, what they know, how they know it. He made a decision. That's a big deal. He hungered for the presence of God. We see that evidenced by the fact that he went to the tent of meeting, and even after Moses left, he stayed, and he stayed. He would inquire of God instead of inquire of man. That's a pretty good place to start. You can inquire of man after you have inquired of God. He listened to God. He, he asked a question, and his ear was turned to God. Are you going to talk to me? Are you going to tell me? And when he heard something, he obeyed God. Okay, how are we doing on time? We're, we're just going to make it. All right, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to come with me to Deuteronomy 31. And I'm going to ask you to put your spiritual, discerning uh, ears on. What was happening... In this passage of scripture, we're going to read, Moses is 120 years old and it's his birthday party. They're having cake and ice cream and God is about to make an announcement. There's going to be a shift in leadership. This becomes particularly appropriate, what happens here on this mountain. Comes appropriate for us in our church, right where we are right now. There's been a shift in leadership, a change. Things aren't the way they used to be. It's a little bit different. It's a little bit, I don't know where things are going and everybody's concerned. Well, I think there are some things we can learn from the way God t- takes care. Care of this transfer of leadership. First of all, God thoroughly prepared Joshua. That is very important for us to know. God didn't pick somebody from the back 40, he was from the time Joshua first saw Moses and made his heart open to the Lord. The Lord began to train him and teach him. Every experience that he went through, we're going to see how valuable they were to his being able to lead the children of Israel into Canaan. I'm going to read from Deuteronomy 31, verse 2 and 3. And Moses said, He's talking to all of Israel now. This is in public. I'm 120 years old today. I'm no longer able to come and go, and the Lord said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. Who made the decision that he's not going? God made the decision. God knows when it's time for change, and he has the person already prepared. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you, and you shall dispossess them. Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you, just as the Lord has spoken. The one who has been leader and the one who will be leader, God is in charge of both. That's real important. Come with me to Deuteronomy 34 and verse 9. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, uh, no, let's go back over to uh, verse 7. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was not dim, and his vigor was not abated. He was not eaten up with disease. It was time for him to go. God said, it's time for you to come be with me. So the sons of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. And then the, now Joshua, the son of Nun, was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him. You know, the spirit of wisdom. In Isaiah 11, it talks about the spirit of God and how he's the spirit of wisdom and counsel, and it gives it several different names. So this is talking about the spirit of the Lord. Joshua the son of Nun was filled with the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands on him, and the sons of Israel listened to him and did as the Lord had commanded. The real leader of Israel did not die that day. I'm going to repeat that. The real leader of Israel did not die that day. A body died that day. That was not the leader. The leader was transferred from one to the next. That's real important. For us to hear as a congregation. Moses laid his hands under the direction of God. On the one who would come behind him. Which was Joshua. And it says that the, he was filled with the spirit of wisdom. Whoever led Moses. That person. Personage. The Holy Ghost. Came into Joshua. Joshua. And he would lead the people. I tell you what, I bet you he took a big breath of fresh air and said, Oh, I'm so glad I don't have to do it all my own. Moses died, but God's purpose was very much alive. It was God's timing. It was God's timing when it was to happen. God already had the person lined up, had been trained for 40 years. There was an absolute point of change when hands were laid on in faith and the spirit of wisdom was transferred from Moses to Joshua. God was still in control. His purposes did not die, did not change. He needed a different person with a different makeup. He needed a warrior. He needed somebody who would lead these people and take them to to conquer in the land. Now, as we finish Deuteronomy, turn the page, and we're at the first chapter of Joshua. Joshua is sitting there, and I'm sure that night he felt a, an awareness that he hadn't... You know, you ever get yourself and you say something, yes to something, and you go home and you say, what have I just done? Well, the thoughts went through his head. I'm absolutely positive of this. What if they reject me? What if they reject me? What about rebellion in the ranks? Did he have a right to consider that? He watched when he came down from the mountain with the Ten Commandments with Moses. He saw the children of Israel had really been rebelled, taken the gold that had been given to them in Egypt and made a golden calf. They rebelled. Later on in uh, Numbers 16, he was there. He was present when Korah, you remember this? Korah came and boldly confronted Moses and Aaron and said, We don't recognize you as the leaders of our people. And God from heaven said, I'd like to show you who's in charge. And the earth, it says, opened up. And Korah and all those that came with him and their families and their properties, everything that spoke that they even belonged on the earth was swallowed up. And it says the earth closed up after them almost like a big mouth that took a big bite of rebellion and got it out of the way. He watched that. He watched it. Did he have concerns? I I can imagine he was concerned. Shall I be rejected or will I be received? Then how he responds in the first chapter, if he comes with a little bit of fear and trepidation it's understandable isn't it he watched as moses was confronted with this if i was in his spot and i turned and looked over my shoulder and there were 3 million people and i got and their livelihood and is on my shoulders first thing i'd think of is what if i can't do the job He had to be absolutely encouraged by God. that The the spirit that led Moses was in him. Scripture tells us it was, but he needed to have that encouragement from God. We're going to find that in the first chapter of Joshua. There is a point sometimes where we say, I have bitten too much. This is more than I can do. Um... Too much responsibility. He looked over. Maybe that went through his mind, too. But I do know this. The man is going to shine. The man was made of good stuff. God absolutely made sure that by the time he had to take over, he was trained, had experienced everything that he needed to experience, And in our church, it is my prayer that it will become just the obvious thing that this is the way the transfer will take place when it comes. When it comes. I hope it doesn't come for a little while. That's my personal opinion, but you already know that. I have no input as to what's coming on the 17th. None. But I know this, God is in control. I know that. I know that when the time comes for a shift of leadership, God has been busy in the background, and it's not news to the people that are experiencing it. God is not going to die. Because there's a change in leadership. It's his plan. It's his plan. And we're going to pick up in the first chapter of Joshua next week. Okay. All right.